On the screen is a picture, and this is the, what's called the wedding cake rock. If you can see it a little closer, it would be, it has a little bit of layers. See the layers? And it's been whitewashed by the elements, and so it has an unusual color, kind of like a cake with layers. And the reason is, is that it's cracked. All of those things are cracks in between. You see the big one, they have smaller ones. And that, the, this is in Sydney, Australia. And people go there, and you can see, they take selfies, pictures. It's a very, very picturesque place to be. Problem is, is it's prohibited. Um, they determined a few years ago that um, it is very unstable. In fact, the entire cliffside could collapse and crumble at any moment. That was what they found when they did research. And so they have put beware signs. They have put warning signs on there. They have now put perimeter fences around it. And you'll be able to see here in a moment that that hasn't stopped people from climbing over them. Um, recently, even at, before I got, after they got this story, they have decided now that there was a $300 fine. And now it's going to go up hundreds of dollars more. And also, they're going to double the size of the fence. The reason is, is in 2014, someone climbed the fence. It was a student and was standing and taking a picture, and that area completely crumbled, and he fell to his death. Um, That's what's at stake. Uh, Lots of warnings, but nothing seems to help. People ignore the warnings, actually climb the fences, and don't watch the signs, and take the picture at peril for their own life. I thought about that, and I thought about our scripture, because Matthew 6 and verse 1 begins with this word. Ready? See it in your text? Beware. It is a warning word. It it, it occurs another time in Matthew's gospel here in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7 and verse 15. This one talks about false practices. 7.15 talks about false prophets. And both of them warn against a kind of righteousness that is only on the outside instead of on the inside. And so what Jesus does is that he has put a warning sign out. And he wants to say this, beware of hypocrisy, warning, don't climb this fence. Don't ignore the warning signs. Don't get on the edge of this cliff, the cliff of hypocrisy. You know why? I'm going to show you later. Because it can destroy your life, he would say. But why the warning, Pastor Walker? Why would we need the warning? Here's why. Because this section, chapter 6, follows chapter 5, which talked about kingdom righteousness. Kingdom righteousness is not just what you do externally. It is what you are internally that comes out externally. And what he warns against is having a righteousness or an outside that looks and appears to be godly, but not having the inside to go with it. And he wants us to know with this warning word, beware, that that can be you and me. It is very easy to deceive yourself and fool yourself into thinking because you do things that God wants you to do on the outside that somehow that alone makes you right before him. There's a little phrase in all three of the examples. Jesus gives an example in verses 2 through 4 about the hypocrisy of giving to the poor and needy. Verses 5 and 6, he talks about the hypocrisy that could be there when it comes to uh, praying in public. 
And then in verses 16 and 17, he talks about the hypocrisy of fasting. And all of them are hypocritical for this reason. Because the motivation is behind it, listen, to be seen by others. That little phrase is in every one of the three examples. Before we go any further, please stay with me. We have to clear up what Jesus is talking about when he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Normally, when you think of hypocrite, I think, at least it's commonly said this, that you say one thing and you do another. Let me give you an example. I say, someone might say, it's important to go to church, but then you don't show up most of the time. So you would say, that's hypocritical. You can't tell me how important it is and how great it is to go to church when you don't show up most of the time. That would be hypocrisy to most of you. You might say, hey, the Bible says that we need to forgive other people, but when someone offends you, <coughs> you're not really quick to forgive at all. That would be hypocrisy. Now, that is hypocrisy, but let me tell you, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. This is not about people who say one thing and then do something wrong. Oh, no, no, this is a different brand or kind of hypocrisy. This is not people who do wrong. This is the hypocrisy of people who are doing all the right things. They are the people who are giving to the poor. They are the people who are praying. They are the people who are fasting. And it's not that they're doing bad things. They are doing good things. The hypocrisy comes in is when they do right actions without a right attitude. See? The motivation behind doing all of it is so others can see me and say, Wow, look at so-and-so. Wow, they are so spiritual. Listen to them pray. Look at all the things that they do. And the motivation behind all of it is to be seen by others. You see, at the bottom line is this. Hypocrisy is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Have you ever seen someone who, when called on to pray, we used to say in college, Bible college, begins to pray in King James English? Thee and thou is not in their normal vocabulary, but somehow when they pray, it becomes part of it. They begin to say long words that they never normally say, and they have a tone in their voice. You know what I'm talking about. See, there are people who, when they pray, the motivation is, I want you to think of me as all of that spiritually. There are people who give, and they want to make sure that you know. And if they're fasting, their face is sad, and they want to make sure that you know how sacrificial they are for serving God. And Jesus said, see, that's the hypocrisy that I'm talking about. And so he waves the flag, can I say. He gives us all the warning signs. And this Jesus is building fences around our lives. And he wants us to beware that all the major things that you do, daily things, spiritual things, beware. Because you can have the wrong motivation. You see, a hypocrite is a person that has a public self and a private self. Private, I don't mean at home and at church, although that's one kind. No, I mean private meaning on the inside. You see, this kind of hypocrisy is the person who doesn't just say you should go to church but doesn't. Oh, no, no, this kind of hypocrisy is the person who comes to all the services and practically would never miss one, right? But the reason they do it is because they think it earns them favor with God, Or it makes them superior spiritually to other people who don't. That's hypocrisy. This is the kind of hypocrisy 
hypocrisy, not of someone who doesn't forgive, but is willing to forgive them. And they say the words, I forgive you, but in their heart, they haven't forgiven. There's full of animosity, anger, bitterness. But on the outside, they did. I, I forgive you, no problem. It's over, don't worry about it. But they still talk about you. And they still say things behind your back. And they're still holding on to it. And they have a grudge. Time has passed. But they forgave you, though. See, that's the hypocrisy. In other words, there's an outside you and an inside you. And see, most people don't know anything about the inside you. Because all they see is the outside. I call it iceberg disciples. You know what an iceberg is? September 2018, I read the article. There was an iceberg they found in the North Atlantic, and it stuck out of the water 60 feet. And it didn't look like a whole lot, although six stories is pretty high. What they found out was that there was 600 feet of iceberg under the surface, which is the same height as the Washington Monument. So there, were, there was 90% below the surface and only 10% above the surface. And see, that's the story of hypocrites. Jesus' definition. That you look at them and you see what's above the surface of the water. See, and it looks like they've got it together. It looks like they're godly. In fact, it looks like they might be a person that you want to emulate. But below the surface is the real person they are, where most of the things that are going on in their life take place. You see, the Titanic hit an iceberg, but it wasn't a big one. But E.J. Smith, who was the captain, ignored not one, not two, seven warnings about icebergs. He ignored them in this fashion. Not that he didn't ignore the fact that they were there. He did not ignore the fact that they were dangerous. He ignored the fact that he needed to do anything about it. And thus the Titanic sunk. The reason he ignored it is because he didn't think his ship could be sunk. So he got too close. And see, some of people who might be here today, that might be, pardon the pun, the boat that you're in. See, There's a lot of icebergs, and you hear the pastor, and you read the Bible, and you know the warnings, and you see the fence, and they've been built, but you continue to ignore them. And the real reason is is because you never think that would actually happen to you and your life. That's why Jesus says, here's the contrast. Here's what hypocrites do. They walk down, verses 2 and 5, the streets and the synagogues, on the street corners, and they want everybody to be announced. It even says, blow the trumpet. Fanfare, everybody, so-and-so's doing something spiritual. Take note. Now, that would be obviously hypocritical. I've read all the the books, and I don't know of anyone who actually blew a trumpet, but the idea is, metaphorically, that you want everybody to know this about you. And Jesus says, the alternative to that is, do it in secret. And by Sunday school class, I, I went through what the word in secret means. It doesn't mean to be hidden away, like we would see a secret lair, a secret stash where I hide the cookies. Not that kind of secret. This is a secret that means inward. Romans 2, 28, 29 says, what is a Jewish person, a true Jewish person, now that Jesus has come? It's not one that's been circumcised outwardly in your flesh, 
Verse 29, but one who has been circumcised, listen, inwardly in their heart. And the word inwardly is the same Greek word as in secret. So take that and plug it into our text. Here's what Jesus says. When you pray, when you give, when you fast. By the way, Jesus expected them to be doing all these things. When, he says, every time. When, when, when. When you're doing all these spiritual devotions and these public piety things, here's what you need to do. Don't blast the trumpet outwardly. Don't get everybody's attention. Do it in secret. In other words, have it be motivated by what's in your heart. He says, inwardly. So what does this mean for us? That means Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is describing for us the kind of disciple that really follows him, that really knows him. And you know what that kind is? A disciple with a certain kind of heart. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He says, you can lust at a woman outwardly. That's adultery. But you know what else it is? Adultery is also when you lust after her in your heart, he says. This section that we're on, the three examples of personal piety, ends with a summary statement and says this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is not looking to fill a church like Faith Baptist Church with a boatload of people who just do all the things that they're supposed to do on the right outside. You wear this kind of hairstyle, you wear this dress, and you carry this Bible, and you come to all the services, sing the songs, put your kids in youth. I mean, there are a lot of things that are good to do that we're, quote-unquote, supposed to do. But can I tell you this? He's looking for way more than that. You know what he's looking for? A heart that says, I care more about what God sees in me than what people see about me. What kind of heart is that, Pastor Walker? In this section, chapter 6, verse 1 through 618, there is a grouping of phrases that is so dense that it is not true in anywhere else in Matthew's gospel. And it is the phrase, your heavenly Father, your Father, your Father who is in heaven. 17 times that phrase is used in the Gospels of Matthew. 10 of those 17 are in this chapter, in this section of this chapter. Verse 1, verse 4, verse 6, verse 8, verse 9, verse 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Your Father, your Father, your heavenly Father. Why? Because this is an identity marker. Here's what he's saying. Listen to me. He's saying this. You have to have this kind of heart to have my kind of righteousness. If you want reward, you want to be in heaven, you want to follow me, you have to be like your father. That's the kind of heart that you need. His heart is the kind of heart I'm looking for. Not a heart that's divided. Not a heart that's duplicitous. See, that's the problem with hypocrisy. It always involves some sort of dividedness, a double soulness, a public you and a private you, an outside you and an inside you. And see, what he's trying to say is this that's not God's heart. Your Father in heaven's heart is different than that. It's not a hypocritical heart, it is a heavenly heart. It's a whole heart, W H 
H-O-L-E. It has a singular purpose, and that is to have the inside match the outside. And that's why he says, listen to this, your heavenly Father who sees in secret. You know what he's saying? If you're part of his family, you're going to be comfortable with the fact that your heavenly Father sees what's going on inside you. But if you hear that phrase this morning, you say, well, God, he looks on my heart. See, God does a spiritual EKG, and he's hooking me up to the heart monitor, the Bible. And he's looking at what I'm really like on the inside. See, if that bothers you and scares you and beyond, he's saying, listen, that may be because you're not in his family. Because God's family has a certain kind of heart, and that's a heavenly heart. See, it's not enough just to look like your father on the outside. You have to be like your father on the inside. That's why he says, your father, your father. You know why? Because that's what your father is like. Now, this is a strong part of the message. Ready? Hypocrites don't have that. The comparison in these three texts are not between two different types of Christians. This is not a comparison for a Christian who's really got it together and a Christian who really doesn't have it together. This is, that's not what a hypocrite is. We're not comparing two Christians. We're comparing someone who says they're a Christian and someone who is a hypocrite. Chapter 6 and verse 7 says, don't pray like the Gentiles. The Gentiles were pagans who knew, did not know the God of the Bible, nor did they care anything about him. So the comparison this morning is between you who say you're saved and someone who is lost, a hypocrite. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus wants you to know that in very clear terms. And I do want you to turn to this because he's going to tell you what hypocrites really are and what's going to happen to them in the same gospel, chapter 23, if you'll turn there. The word hypocrite is used six times in chapter 23. <clears throat> and with it, can I say to this? Watch it, because they go together. Seven times the little phrase, woe to you, is used. And they're used in conjunction. The little phrase, woe to you, is a judgment oracle used throughout all the Old Testament. And what it means is God is going to judge and condemn you forever. So when he says woe, he's not trying to pull you back and stop your horse. This is woe, meaning woe, you are in the biggest trouble you could possibly be in with God. Let me read them to you. Chapter 23 and verse 13 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Watch, hypocrites. So he put hypocrites in being judged forever by God together. Verse 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides. Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 25, verse 27, verse 29. Do you think he wants us to understand something? 
I mean, he's going to say it seven times in one chapter. But it's more than that. 23 and verse 13 says this. What does it mean to be judged by God? What is the outcome of being a hypocrite? 23, 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Listen to this. For you neither enter yourselves. You're a hypocrite. You're not going to be in God's kingdom. And you, don't, you stop others from doing it too, he says. Skip down to the end of the chapter. He says, 23, 32. He said, you murdered the prophets, verse 31, and so fill up then the measure of circlet. Your, what? Your fathers. So here's what Jesus says. You know what? When you live the inside and outside are the same, no hypocrisy. Whose father are you like? My father. But when you live only on the outside and it's a fake, it's a sham, it's a mask, it's a pretense, And on the inside, Jesus says his words in this chapter, not mine. You are full of dead men's bones. You are like a whitewashed tomb. You look beautiful on the outside when the sun hits it. But inside, you are dead, he says. He says, you know who you're like? Not my father, your father's. You're like the Israelites in the past who killed the prophets and thought they were serving God, he says. And then he says, so that we don't miss it. 23.15, he says, For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell, listen to this, as you are. So what's a hypocrite? A child of hell. You can't get any more serious than that. God says, What's the problem? Why would God be so condemning, so judgmental about hypocrisy? Because it just doesn't affect them. What? It affects others around them. And what is the problem? What is wrong? What's the hypocrisy like? Please look at verse 27. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. See it? Outwardly, you look beautiful. Inside, within, you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So outwardly, you appear righteous to, see there's our phrase again, to others. But within, you're full of hypocrisy. It'd be like saying, hey, do all these things on the outside, but I don't have any desire for God on the inside. I don't really get into his word. I don't pray. I don't really care about the poor. I'm not interested in the needs of others. Jesus would say, listen to me, hypocrisy is a heart issue. Hear me, and hypocrisy is a hell issue. It is both. So Jesus says, I hung a sign at the beginning of this gospel, and I warned you, beware, he says, Beware of hypocrisy because it destroys, it ruins you and everyone else that you infect. And if that wasn't enough, he says, let me book in this gospel, not with one more warning sign, but let me give you seven of them, like a fence, placard across the front. Beware of hypocrisy all the way down the row. But yet there are still people in churches like ours who ignore the warnings, keep climbing the fences, and think that they can play the game with God 
and pretend to be all these things year after year and nothing will ever come of it. Jesus says, beware. Beware, because hypocrisy isn't just a heart issue. It's a hell issue. Mount Vesuvius erupted and it killed every person that was in town. You can still see ruins of people who were killed while they were doing things, almost like they were frozen in time. The attack on Pearl Harbor was devastating. December 7th, 1941, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, battleship after military ship, thousands of lives were lost. 1986, the space shuttle Challenger, after blasting off 73 seconds later, was completely obliterated. All because they didn't have the right O-ring in there. Do you know what all three of those devastating, destructive stories have in common? They all happened because people ignored the warnings. Did you know that Mount Vesuvius didn't erupt the first time and blow up the first day? For weeks, it was grumbling, it was moving, it was making noises. In fact, two days before the actual thing happened, it was moving so much so that it began to shake all the residencies. You know how many people left after those warnings? Zero. They all died. You know why? Because they didn't think it would be bad enough to hurt them. The attack on Pearl Harbor. Do you know Franklin Roosevelt got warnings that the Japanese were building up a whole arsenal and were moving toward Hawaii? Do you know that he knew that two days? He did nothing. Nothing. And Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor happened. Did you know that they were told at NASA that the O-rings wouldn't work? And if it got too cold, the O-rings wouldn't work and the whole thing would explode. Did you know that they were told that weeks in advance? And so they did something about it. You know what? They were going to lift off and it was too cold. So they go, we can't chance it. Six days passed and it only got a little bit warmer. I mean, just a little bit warmer. And so they felt like because they had made all these statements that they couldn't wait any more any longer, even though it was still below the temperature that the O-rings would work correctly, they chanced it and lost the life of everyone on there. You know why? Because they simply ignored the warnings. See, perhaps that's why the Lord brought you here today to church. Because he wants to say this, beware of hypocrisy. Beware of playing the game that you think that you can fool others and appear to be something that you are not, he says to us. And he brought you here because he wants you to see the warning signs. He wants you to see the fence. Stop climbing over it every Sunday. Stop pretending to be someone you're not. Stop allowing your kids to pretend. Stop it, he says. And that's why he brought you here. He wants you to say, listen, do you hear the rumblings of Mount Vesuvius in your backyard? Do you understand that you're defying what the O-rings can do? Do you understand that Satan and his armies are mounting forces and they're not far from where you are? Do you understand that? And he brought you here today and he says, wake up because you can be delivered 
You can stop the destruction. You can withhold all the death and the devastation in your life and in your families. You can if you repent. Seven signs, and to my knowledge, I don't know if any of those Pharisees and scribes heeded the warnings of Jesus. Woe to you. Woe to you. And Jesus says it's going to be a scary day when we stand before the Lord. Because he's going to bring up the fact that you were here, and I warned you over and over and over, and you just kept climbing the fence. You thought you could play the game. And God says, you're wrong, and I brought you here today to tell you. The question is, will you hear? He knows your heart. You may fool your wife or your kids or people at this church or your pastor. But may I tell you, you cannot fool God. He sees in secret. And the reward, eternal life, I believe, in the text, will be given to those whose righteousness is both inside and out. Let's close in prayer. We're going to close in a moment by singing 657, Search Me, O God. I, I couldn't think of a better song. And it says, And know my heart today. Truthfully, you don't have to ask him to, although it's okay, because he already does. <clears throat> he already knows your heart. He knows your heart better than you. But he brought you here today so that you could know it like he does. See, maybe today you'd have to say, Pastor Walker, it's hard for me to say this, but I'm a hypocrite. I do the right things, but my motivation's all wrong. I don't have the kind of heart that wants to, that cares more about what God sees than others. I just want to look like I'm this, when I know I'm not, but I want to look like it. Image is everything in our culture, isn't it? And so you post things on Facebook and social media, and you argue points as if that's who you are. Can I tell you, God isn't fooled. Say what you want on Facebook and on social media. He knows who you really are. And he's waiting for you to agree with him. And today's that day. We're going to sing this song, and perhaps this morning, as you hear the song, you would come forward. We could have someone pray with you, talk with you, help you. Maybe you just want to pray and kneel here and say, God, help this hypocrite. Maybe the hypocrisy runs so deep you're not really sure that you know him because you don't bear the image of your father's heart. And if that's a question in your mind or you're pretty sure it's a reality, would you come? Because Jesus loves all of us because truth is, right? All of us are hypocrites to one degree. Father, I pray that you in these closing moments would allow the Holy Spirit of God to get a hold of our hypocritical hearts. That we would stop playing the external game and start meaning it on the inside. 
I don't know the spiritual condition of everyone in this room, but you do. You know the hearts of all men. And I pray that you would move in their hearts even now to bring them to a place of repentance. Because a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. Accomplish that in our lives, in our hearts, even now, for your great honor and glory alone. For through Jesus we pray. Amen.